Welcome to The State of Us. Beyond mainstream cable news and party lines, with a millennial and a boomer, The State of Us pushes past the noise and uncovers all the issues that matter. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. The roughly 12 million students in California and Texas use social studies textbooks from the same publisher. The books credit the same authors, but the content diverges in ways that reflect the deep partisan divides of our country. I think it's pretty clear why you would care about this. Uh, Obviously, if you're a parent in one of those two states, if you're a student in one of those two states, uh, you're being shown a slightly different story, and in some ways, a pretty big uh, difference in storytelling. And this resonates throughout the country because it's not just Texas and California. Many states purchase the California or Texas editions uh, or a slightly revised version thereof to use as their textbooks since these are the two biggest markets for textbooks in the country. So this resonates throughout the country. It's uh, an interesting issue. And today we're going to break down just how do these textbooks come to be and where are some of the key areas, the five places that they diverge the most. But of course, we couldn't begin a conversation on students, education, and all things scholastic without. True Chat senior historian and an educator of more than 30 years. Here is your friendly redneck liberal, Lance Jackson. Most people remember their American history book as that big bulky thing they had to carry around that uh, made them stronger because they had to lift it and carry it. Or it was just always stayed at the bottom of their locker and they never saw it. But little did they know that depending on where they grew up and when they went to school, what was in that book. And it wasn't always the same. Well, of course, Lance, I think it's important, right, that our listeners know You yourself were an American history teacher for uh, many, 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 many years. (laughs) Yes, and still have a very large love for it. Yes, Yes. I think it was 29 of my 30 years I taught American history. I think something that's really been illuminated for me about history uh, since having spent more time reading books. Like right now, we're reading a a book for the show Mm -hmm. called Heirs of an Honored Name. We've read a couple books recently that are kind of more, and I'm using air quotes here, history books in that they cover a period in history. But the interesting thing is that no matter how factual these books proclaim to be, right, a huge part of them is always the interpretation of the facts to tell the story. Because if we just listed the facts... Uh, one, it would get very tedious. I mean, there, there would just be this, you know, plethora of different information and it would be hard for most of us to make much sense of the information that we're looking at. Well, even with the facts, though, it depends on what facts you decide to include. Right. That's, and when you're talking about textbooks versus history books, there's, there is a difference, but then there's that similarity as to which set of facts do you decide to put in there? Mm -hmm. Because, there is much information that is left out as well as the interpretation. Um, so you are correct. But in a textbook, people think, well, everything's in the textbook. No, it's not. You mm-hmm. know, the, they are. And unfortunately, textbooks are politically driven, which people don't understand. And they affect the our two, politics. The two major. Well, that's we'll get there. But <laughs> but they really and they are the reason they are politically driven is because the two major textbook purchasers 
in the United States are the state of Texas and the state of California. So textbook publishers then slant their books the way those politicians want the books to be because that's where they're going to make the most money. You mean we're talking about history and people produce books that they can so that they can sell them? Sure. Yes, that is correct. I'm, and most people don't understand that. They think it's a textbook. Therefore, they're all the same. And they're not. And so those of us who don't live in Texas and California then have to make purchases on books that were politically motivated by people other than us. And in the last few years of my career, when Ohio started mandating tests, then there was the Ohio version of said textbook. Sure. So then even it was adapted to include items that would be on the state of Ohio mandated test. It wasn't necessarily – so I guess it was a different textbook, but it was the Texas, California book adapted or edited for Ohio students. So it wasn't even the same textbook that was originally published that was driven by the Texas or California market. Then it was changed again so that it would include the curriculum that Ohio students needed to know when they took their standardized test. And I think the process of how textbooks even well, come to be. supposed to be American history. Right. Right. And no matter it's, where you take it in all 50 states, it should highlight the, and motivate and the learning in the same direction. But it doesn't. When you read the different textbooks from the same companies, they highlight and different experiences and omit certain things or submit certain things right. for readers. Well, and that's part of the how the textbooks come to be in the first place, I think, is a process that most people assume, like other books, right? Authors sit down and write the books. Well, that is step one. Typically academics, okay, people who are, you know, professors of history or something like that are going to be invited to write the book for the publisher. And they write a national version of the text, a single text that they perceive as being what everybody in the United States should know. Then, and here's where things start to get muddy. So then two publishers customize the books for states and large districts to meet local standards, often without input from the original authors. So now, right, the authors wrote their version. The publishers go in and change stuff without caring what the authors say. Then three. To meet the demand of the customer. Right. State or district textbook reviewers then go over each book and ask publishers for further changes. So the publishers made changes, right, to try to anticipate what the states and districts would want. Then the states go back and they mark up a bunch of stuff and say, change this, change this, change this. And then publishers, number four, revise their books and sell them to districts and schools. So you go through four steps before it ever even makes it to a student mm -hmm. and at least two rounds of revisions, one by the publisher, one by the districts, and sometimes more than that. And zero by the authors. Right. The people whose <laughs> names are on it didn't make the revisions. Right. They included what, as historians, as the people who are the experts, they included what they thought needed to be included. And then all those revisions take place without their input. And that's, and that's common, obviously, because there would be often a lot of pushback from these authors uh, who that's what they spend their career doing is learning and researching and, and writing about history. And obviously, if they feel that what they put forward was changed substantially to reflect or not reflect a certain issue, uh, they might 
push back on that. So uh, that all that said, I think, again, part of why this is so important is what Lance and I briefly mentioned at the beginning, which is this isn't just a matter of what are we telling people about the past, but it's also about relatively recent history and how that informs discussions about the present and the future. Uh, this has a huge, and as you see, as we'll get into some of these right now, uh, these five areas that they diverge, I think every one of them, Lance, people can immediately start thinking about how they inform discussions that we're, that we're having today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, it's really interesting. And we'll, and we'll start, uh, right off here with California. So, uh, their books, Lance, note that the suburban dream of the 1950s, right? The, the American dream, as we might call it, was inaccessible to many African Americans. The Texas version, on the other hand, doesn't mention that. And here's the actual wording difference, okay? So the California version, quote, movement of some white Americans from cities to suburbs was driven by a desire to get away from more culturally diverse neighborhoods, end quote. And there's about three paragraphs on this in the California version, but that's kind of the synopsis one. The Texas version, one paragraph, and here's how it reads. Some people wished to escape crime and congestion in the city, period. Right. I mean, and that's a subtle difference, right? If, you, if you're reading the text independently, you'd probably not think twice about either of those phrases. I mean, most people. No, they wouldn't. But then you look at California devotes three paragraphs to explaining this, and they very specifically name white Americans. And the Texas version says one paragraph, one sentence, and says some people, right? But that's where we have a, a total lack of understanding of history. History is open to interpretation. And so many people, and as I, as a teacher, I would say, you know, there were very few people who didn't care about history. One of the first questions I asked in class was, do you like history or do you not like history? And, you know, it was very split usually, and that was fair enough. But what I would then tell them is history is an interpretive study. And most people don't understand that. They think, well, it's facts. It's about dead people and what they did and what they accomplished or what they didn't accomplish. And that is not the case. And history is an interpretive study. And we'll have more about that in the next segment, I hope. Yep. So we're going to keep looking at the differences between the Texas and California versions and uh, see what they bring to light. We've got a lot more to come. We're also going to talk about the role that state versus federal government versus local government should play in education. Keep it here on The State of Us, and we'll be right back. We are The State of Us. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. 12 million students, two states, eight textbooks. Five different core areas uh, on issues that these two states differ on. There's a lot to break down so far. We've looked at a little bit of how these textbooks come to be in the first place, okay? Uh, Which is, I think, a process that, like history, some people have misconceptions about. Uh, I think we all believe, typically, that if there's a book, right... Most of the book is the authors sit down and they write the book. And then maybe it goes through some grammatical editing or some trimming. Uh, but then that's, you know, we mostly get the book in its entirety. And if, and, it, is, and if it is in a history textbook, then we think it's the same because it's the same set of facts and we're studying facts. Right. And that is not the study of history and it's not the way history books 
are written. And, and, I, and I keep saying textbooks because I don't want people to say when well, they pick up a biography or pick up we're, – we're talking about textbooks for history. Right. And it's just – there have been schools of thought throughout American history on American history. And so depending on when the book was written and you're constant, we are concentrating today on the latest versions. But if you pick up an American history book written in 1870 – it has a very different outlook on the American Revolution than one written in 2015 because there was a different historical school of thought at that point in time. And so those are the things that people don't understand. And we just think, well, it's it's the study of American history. So it's the study of what has happened in our country. And you've already pointed out white flight suburbia the american dream is presented in two different ways mm -hmm. in from the same textbook company right well and even even that issue continues in these and this is the difference between the california and texas versions by the way the article we're referencing is actually entitled two states eight textbooks two american stories uh, and this is found from the New York Times. It's linked at thestateofus.org per our policy so that you guys can go check it out for yourselves, read it, see what you come to the conclusions of. Uh, but I'm quoting directly here from the article, Southern whites resisted reconstruction, according to McGraw-Hill textbook, because, quote, they did not want African-Americans to have more rights. That's the um, California version. But the Texas edition offers an additional reason. Reforms, so it mentions that, it mm -hmm. uses that, but then it also goes on to say reforms cost money and that meant higher taxes, right? So <clears throat> if I live in California, Lance, and I'm a student, the story that I get is um, because whites didn't want African Americans to have more rights, right? Mm -hmm. Which is true. I mean, I think as, right. a, as there's a nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. That, that is, statement that is not wrong. That is correct. Right. But, but they also leave out then that what Texas mentions, which is that reforms cost money, which is just a, I mean, that's just a fact, right? And that means higher taxes. Saying that obviously changes the narrative and includes a different reason, which isn't all that unusual since Texas obviously being part of the Southern, you know, part of, and I'm using air quotes there, the Southern states, because mm -hmm. they kind of try to do their own thing too a lot, but um, they were part of the Confederacy. Exactly. And and so they're including what they see as relative, which is that, yes, it was about slavery, but we also like to make sure people but remember it also, that, it ha that, that we say it had something to do with states' rights. But it also deflects. See, we're not racist. It was because it was going to cost money and we don't want to pay higher taxes. And then you as the teacher can say those kinds of things and you don't have to touch on – the right. the race the racism issue and so that's the that's again just another example here we're going to move on to this was an interesting one not one I expected to see at all because when I was in school this wasn't really even something that was in textbooks at all so it's it's just fascinating that it hasn't been that long and here already things are changing on gender and sexuality. California textbooks include history that is not in the Texas editions. California states that the federal government failed to recognize non-binary gender identities and female leaders in its early relations with Native Americans. So this is totally, this is one of those things that I had no idea of, Lance, until I read um, an academic paper a couple years ago that was specifically about one of the reasons that there were strained relations sometimes between us and the Native Americans is because of the total disconnect that we had with some of their cultural practices, like the total disregard by some tribes 
uh, for typical gender roles, which to our white Anglo-Saxon, uh, you know, founders, that was very uh, peculiar and difficult to reconcile. Texas, on the other hand, does not mention gender roles or gender identity at all in its discussions um, around the Americanization of Native Americans. Exactly. And I'm a little bit upset that you didn't remember because we did talk about that in class very briefly, but we had to pick up at the Civil War. And so by that time, we had your state mandated. Right. Curriculum. (laughs) We had to start from the Civil War to the present. And so most of our dealings with the Native Americans had already been established. Nothing before the Civil War matters, huh? But we, you know, we talked about matriarchal societies and, and those kinds of ideas and the fact that the United States would make treaties with one group of Indians and not understand that the group they made the treaty with didn't speak for all Indians. Right. That there was a difference or that even within the Sioux Nation or the Lakotas or uh, the Cherokee, that there were different leaders for different groups within that group. And um, yeah, there were, um, there are a lot of things. And again, how much do you talk about? And how much time does does a classroom teacher have to go into this? And then how much does the teacher depend on the textbook? Because you know there are teachers that they just <laughs> have I? you Do you I just know? have they just have you read the book uh-huh. and they give you the book test and they give you the book supplementals mm-hmm. and they don't do any dialogue teachers that are- or discussion. They just say. Read sections three and four. Here are the worksheets for section three and four. Here's the quiz for section three and four. Okay. Do now sections five and six, one and two, whatever. And okay, now here's the chapter test. Take it. Mm-hmm. And they never have a discussion. So the only thing you get is what the book is, what the book is talking about. Mm-hmm. And then you have people like me who use the textbook as a supplement. And we just talk about different things and the latest readings. But again, I will point out and admit that's interpretive as well. Sure. Because I don't lean on the textbook, but then you're getting, I'm bringing up the things that I think are important and leaving certain things out. Sure. But you have, there's a limited time too. I mean, this is, I think that's a huge point that people, it's, it's not only about what the textbooks include, but teachers like Lance if they're using it as supplemental, sometimes there's whole parts of the textbook you don't use for one of two reasons. Either it doesn't, it's not related to the class you're teaching, you know, because that's not part of the curriculum and you don't have time to get to it. So you don't even use that part of the textbook. And then sometimes you also choose to go away from a certain part of the textbook because you don't like or don't feel that it's an accurate representation of history. And that goes back to, I think, your point at the beginning, which it is very much an interpretive study and very much changes based on who's teaching it and what they're using to teach the class. Um, which is why I think it's such a fascinating subject, mm-hmm. but most people don't understand that. And they think, oh, I'm just going to learn more stuff about a bunch of dead people. Right. And that's not what history is about. So the next area uh, that we're going to look at here is immigration. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not surprising. That a this huge is topic, a but it's huge been a topic. huge topic throughout the history of the United States. Sure. So immigration and nativism are major themes in American history textbooks, not surprisingly. California includes an excerpt from a novel about uh, Dominican-American families. And in the same place, Texas highlights the voice of a border patrol agent. So 
Again, not terribly surprising that that's the case, but at the same time, interesting that neither of them include both of those. Right. You get one side or the other. Right. And I think in this immigration debate, there's a lot more than just two sides, you know, and we always, we, we, we try to pigeonhole it into two sides, like the border patrol agent versus the Dominican American family that's trying to come in. And I don't, I don't think that's great either, because particularly on issues like this, part of what we, I think the textbooks unintentionally teach students is that these issues aren't nuanced, right? That they're really black and white and easy to understand. And they're not, uh, because the experiences of a border patrol agent are very different from an immigrant family. And the experiences of that immigrant family are very different from where they're coming from. I mean, that changes from the it, nation right? and, and where and from and where they are entering sure. the United States makes a big and difference. how they enter the United States. Yes, so uh, I think it's you know in some of these places it's a shame that that we are so limited in the amount of time that we have to teach history um, because it I think it forces teachers into a we just don't have time. You right. know, it's not a it's not always a desire from the teachers. It's I have whatever 120 students, you know, and I'm expected to get them to a standard or and, more 150 or 180 in some of our metropolitan districts, you have mm-hmm. 30 students and you have six periods a day, you have 180 students. Right. So what can you get taught and you know, how much time do you really have by the time, you know, just very quickly one of the things we do in education, we figure out we only have about a hundred days for actual teaching. Right. Because by the time you take out time for missed school time, for test days, for state testing, for these other things of your 180 whatever days school year you have, you lose almost a third of it to other things. So you really don't even have the full school year to teach. Well, and, the, and one of the other items that I think kind of of interest here too, is the whole, uh, this, the standardized tests, the whole reason that we have these customized textbooks, right, is, and I'm using air quotes here again, to make it easier for teachers to get students to the standards that they're going to be tested on. So there's this other side of... Which is a state-by-state standard. Exactly. Each state has a different set of standards. It's going to completely vary from one state to the next. So I think that part of part of what you take away from this is that... Even if you have a teacher, right, who wants to spend more time on something else, uh, the textbook may not include the information. And part of the reason it doesn't include the information is because the students aren't going to be tested on that. And you don't want your students to do poorly, right? Because, I mean, in, in a lot of states, your job depends on them doing at least uh, decently well. Right. <laughs> so it's that, you know, I want to keep my job. I want my students to do well on the test. And so even if I want to teach about this other thing, I already don't have enough time to teach what I'm supposed to teach, let alone include anything else that's going to help them. Uh, so then you're forced into the, you want them to pass the test. So how do you teach about something in such a way that makes sure that they answer the question that the state's asking correctly? Uh, because maybe if you show them the whole picture, right, if I talk to them now, uh, like on this next one, about how both states emphasize the role of big business, but California is critical of wealth inequality and the impact of companies like Standard Oil on the environment, while Texas, on the other hand, is more likely to celebrate free enterprise and entrepreneurs like Andrew Carnegie, right? So now if I include both those positions, and I'm Texas, and I'm going to test you more on free enterprise and entrepreneurship, like 
Andrew Carnegie. Now you have students who get the question wrong, not because they don't know the history, but because their opinion of which one is right isn't the same as the state's opinion of that which is one correct. is right. And now, hopefully, all of those who listen to our show have started to figure out why there is such this disconnect when we talk about issues such as gender equality, immigration, capitalism throughout the United States because students are getting two different interpretations or multiple, I should say, not two, but multiple interpretations from of the facts. Right. And a lot of times those interpretations aren't the same as what the original authors were anyway. So then you're getting a highly curated version of these books. And I think that's a big part of what we've been looking at so far. Remember that if you want to look at the article for yourself, thestateofus.org, two states, eight textbooks, two American stories, that's from the New York Times. We're going to talk about next the difference in these levels of education. We've started to highlight it kind of throughout this section. But the question is, where the heck do we go from here, Lance, right? I mean, that's, I think that's the biggest thing raised by all this is, well, the way we're doing it's kind of questionable. So let's talk about what's to come. Keep it here on The State of Us, and we'll be right back. We are The State of Us. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. California and Texas students use social studies textbooks from the same publisher. The books credit the same authors, but these 12 million students see content that diverges in ways that reflect deep partisan divides across the country. And here's the thing that's tough, Lance. Sometimes there's more than one right answer, right? A Most lot definitely. of times. Oh, it's, that's what we always <laughs> talked about in my history class. And a, is, is it, you know, if you can support it with facts, mm -hmm. it could be a right answer. And that could be a correct answer. Part of the problem I think you run into with this is that when you look at these additions and depending on your political persuasion, right, you might be more as you're listening to our show today, you might say, well, the Texas version sounds a little bit more like what I believe, what I believe, or maybe the California version does. Right. Or maybe you don't really like either of them because that's not the textbook from the state that you grew up in. And you're like, well, wait a minute. That's, that's not what I learned. That's about. not what I learned. Right. So. Um, I think the point in that is that as we were reading through this, I was reading things that they both brought up and I was like, well, that's probably good that's included. But then in both cases, there was a lot of times where I'm like, well, that's bad though that they didn't include what the other state included. You know, the fact that they chose to include only one of the options to me, Lance, was the biggest thing that I saw the problem with. Not so much what they chose to include, but what they chose not to include was I think the biggest issue because a lot of what they put in like you pointed out, can be supported with facts, right? It's not that the statements they're making are necessarily incorrect. It's that the choice of what's being included lends itself to telling a very particular story. Well, that that when you include only one, then that is what is learned as the one right answer instead of showing that there are two or multiple correct answers. Harder to test, though, on multiple correct answers, right? Right. Which is, but see, we call them social sciences, and then we say there's one right answer. I mean, it's it's the age old, and, and this was this was written about um, a famous historian in 1913 said that the American Revolution was economically motivated. It didn't have anything to do with politics. It was that our founding fathers were worried about their wallets, and so they broke away from England because they wanted to protect their money. 
well, there's, there's a good argument there. Sure. For that. But oh my gosh, how do you stand up and pledge allegiance to the flag and teach patriotism <laughs> a financial for people decision. who were doing it for, you know, financial motivation? That they weren't doing it for independence or rights. Right. They, they wanted to make sure they were making and holding on to the most money that they could. Come on, I think. Totally changes the, the oh, concept yeah. of how this country was founded. But that was written mm-hmm. by an American historian about the American Revolution. In 1913 and is looked upon as one of the seminal versions of what happened, what took place back in the 1770s. And I think – So does that make it wrong? No. You know, does it make it right? No. No. (laughs) You know, but it all of a sudden changes the way a lot of elementary kids would learn about the start of the United States of America. One of the things that I think we – fail on a lot in this country from a historical standpoint is trying to say that there is a singular narrative. You know, and we do that with history a lot, but I think it's prevalent in our history because it makes it easier to unify around a single vision. I mean, or at least that's that's the the thinking. But like the idea that the founding fathers mean all, mind control? All wanted yeah. You mean we were gonna teach the, <laughs> the one the, thing so we'll all follow it and believe it? The the founding so, fathers, so it's easier for the government to control us and in lockstep because we'll all have the same belief system and the same Answer in the same thought? You're friendly redneck liberal, folks. Mm, okay. <laughs> it's making him nervous. He doesn't like it. Uh, it's what I've the, taught against. <laughs> that's right. I, I remember. <laughs> um, but I do think that one of, one of the points that's often left out is this idea that we talk about the founding fathers so often, right? As if they all believe the same thing and nothing could be further from the truth. They all had so many different reasons they were doing what they did. Some of them did do it because it was in their simple financial interest. Some did it because it was in the interest of keeping slavery. Some did it because they believed in freedom and the principles that we uphold, right? I mean, they all had different motivations. It just so happens that they came all to the same compromise, right? But we use the compromise well, you use as the- big, the, big, a big word there. There was a compromise. Right. That's what we don't see now. Yeah. There's like, there was one overarching goal (laughs) that they wanted to achieve. So we'll compromise our personal beliefs so that together we can reach the one goal that we all want. Right. I want to, I want to bring in our producer because I'm really curious. I mean, this is something that it's not surprising to me to learn about the textbook thing because I've always kind of known that this is a thing in part because of who I had as a history teacher, an American history teacher. Um, who's sitting across the table from me today. So part, I know this and I've known it for a long time in part because of that. I think a lot of people don't know it and, and you shouldn't feel bad if you didn't because why would you? Because your state, right? Presents it as if this is history. This You're is You're a student. It. You show up, you go to class, you take the book that they you give you. You learn the facts. And you learn right? what they're telling the you you need to know. Mm-hmm. So, so Bradley, um, Bradley's our producer, folks. If, if you're a new listener and haven't heard him before, if he hasn't graced you with his presence, but he's, he's always in the control room taking care of Lance and I, making sure that, you know, we don't kill each other or kill him or some other terrible thing. So he's going to provide us some insight on you're listening to this conversation, right? And, uh, you've probably taken history relatively recently. What's your experience and, and what do you make of all this? I mean, what the heck, right? There's all these different versions of history, and you didn't get the same one that somebody in California got. So I was trying when you guys were talking. I was trying to think of what history was served to me in school, but 
I honestly can't remember my book's agenda. I can only remember like the main, like the events, like the American Revolution. And I think that's one of the big problems, Lance, is because it's presented in a way that there isn't multiple sides, you don't give it much of a second thought. Yeah, I can't really detect an agenda because I didn't know there was one. Precisely. Right. I couldn't have said it better myself. Because of the way it was taught, that was the agenda. Right. You don't know that there, and that's the whole point, because if people knew that there was an agenda, uh, I think particularly as Americans, a lot of us have that we don't, we don't like when somebody has an agenda and wants to tell us how to do things. I don't know if any, and any it may human not have been, likes that. And it that, may not but, have been the teacher's agenda, mm-hmm. but it was the agenda of the textbook maker who was meeting the demands of the local school board or the state. Mm-hmm. When is, they when they wrote the textbook, is it fair to say, Lance, that a lot of the teachers don't even know there's an agenda in the book or the testing? Very fair. Very fair. So I mean, how how can you expect a student, right? If if the teacher is unaware of the biases, how would you ever expect the student to know? They wouldn't. No way. They they go right through it like Bradley did because. You don't know. I mean, you're handed, like you said, you're handed a textbook and you believe this to be the authoritative source of information. Well, and you trust your teachers. And you they, should. They have probably. been put in a position of authority and they are in charge of your education and you trust them to prepare you for the future because that's what we have hired them to do. And that's what we've told you they're there to do. Right. right? So, so now, Lance, what do we do about this, right? Is it, I mean, is it as simple as saying states can't have their own individual versions of a textbook? Well, but you and I always talk about local control. Right. And this is an example of local control because they're these states and these big districts who buy the textbooks are having them fit the kind of education that they want. So that is local control. Do you have a federally mandated? Do you trust the federal government to come up with what's better? I don't. With something that's better <laughs> Do you? than this? No, I don't I don't think that's the question. I think I think the point is to understand that this is what's going on and don't close your mind to alternative visions of interpretations of American history. Does this show why we are starting to get this divide in our discussions as a group of people about politics and about our leaders as to what's right and what's fake and what's because we're learning different things, both are right, so now how do I support the right person? For my views or for the views of the country. Well, we don't have the views. We have multiple views. We're led views. to believe, though, that we do have the view. And is that so, – so is this where we've fallen short, that we've tried to sell it as the overarching view of America when it really doesn't even exist? So here's my would – be, Would we better, would we better, be better off, Blue? Would we be better off if we just admitted – that these are there are differences. So here's my here's my or do we need to have one solution? Or do we need to have one textbook? I would rather have the multiple textbooks and explain that that's what's occurring mm-hmm. rather than having one that taught somebody else one person's agenda. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with a unified textbook is that the same problems will exist, but now there will be nobody learning the alternative versions. Exactly. So. It, 
there are definitely benefits. I mean, I don't want to discount that there are benefits to a unified version because it does mean that people in Ohio and California will learn the same thing or they will have the opportunity to learn the same thing. Their teacher, you know, comes into play, obviously a great deal, um, and their state standards, but they'll both be presented with the same textbook. But the problem is, uh, the, the good thing about it is also the problem with it, right? And that is, I think, where in my mind, what we do is the solution, Lance, is from a federal standpoint, we can require, right, that a disclaimer be included in bold print on, you know, the cover of every book that says this is one interpretation of American history. Other interpretations exist, and this is not necessarily the most complete or factual interpretation and require that every teacher prior to beginning, you know, their class for the year has to read that aloud to their students. We're not asking for much time. We're asking for two sentences. And at the very least, we are then requiring that the acknowledgement be made to the people that are going to learn, right, that this is one option and we're going to present you one option and you're going to be tested on one option. But there are other options. Not the option. Right. What do you think? Does that is that a place to start? We could see how it goes, maybe revisit it in a few years. Well, you know, you buy your textbook every five to seven years anyway for most right districts. So I think, I mean, I think that it it would be interesting to give that a try because I don't think you're not removing local control, sure. but you are requiring that all students be informed of the same reality, which is that based on their locality and what their state has decided is the most important to be taught. There will be variations. It's a start. It's a start. So Lance, the state of us.org, right? This is a syndicated radio show and it's a podcast. So there's a lot of different ways to tune in, but the state of us.org has it all. If people don't want to invite somebody today to tune into the podcast version, what are some of the best ways to listen? Well, they could find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple podcast, and anywhere else fine podcasts are found. And uh, this podcast, right, The State of Us, pursues a common goal with the rest of the True Chat network. What is that goal, Lance? Well, our mission here at True Chat is to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations. For The State of Us on True Chat in Urbana, Ohio, I'm Justin T. Weller. And I'm Lance Jackson. Special thanks to our producer, Bradley Butch. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Be the change. Be sure to check out our website, thestateofus.org, for books, articles, and all the ways to tune in, thestateofus.org.